Welcome to the Demand Generation Club podcast, the first podcast dedicated exclusively to SaaS B2B demand gen secrets and best practices as shared by some of the top leaders in the industry. This podcast is brought to you by SaaS MQL, the account-based marketing agency that helps SaaS companies land six-figure deals with highly targeted campaigns by combining intent data, automation, and a proven methodology. SaaS MQL can help your company generate millions of dollars in sales opportunities within just a few months. To learn more, go to sasmql.com. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Demand Generation Club podcast. I'm your host, Franco Caporal. Our guest today is Clarissa Horowitz, Vice President of Marketing at Treasury Prime. Treasury Prime was founded in 2017 and is building the future of finance. Leveraging its award-winning APIs and versatile banking-as-a-service products, Treasury Prime enables fintechs, banks, and corporate partners to innovate, adapt, grow, and scale to stay competitive in a rapidly changing marketplace. Clarissa is a strategic and forward-thinking marketer who has extensive experience in fintech. She previously served as the VP of Marketing at BitGo and MobileIron, turning startups into category leaders. So I'm really happy to welcome today Clarissa Horowitz, Vice President of Marketing at Treasury Prime. Clarissa, it's really great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. So you have a very, very interesting background, and uh, I can't wait to ask you a lot of questions. So can you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and your career and how, how did you end up uh, becoming the VP of Marketing at Treasury Prime? Well, like many marketers, it wasn't a completely linear journey. I actually graduated from college with a degree in history, and my plan was to be the next great magazine photographer. And after a few years of doing that, I decided it probably wasn't going to happen, that I was a very good photographer, but I was not a genius. So that sort of sent me on this quest to figure out, okay, well, if not photography, then what do I want to do? And after a lot of research, the answer that seemed to be a really good fit for me was to go into public relations. So in the dot-com boom, I joined a, a firm in San Francisco and worked on every kind of account you can imagine from, uh, from food to wine to class five switches to e-commerce, all sorts of things. So I spent um, about 10 years altogether in agencies working on uh, startups, working on major accounts like HP, Yahoo, Wells Fargo. Uh, I worked at Google for a while as well. And then, uh, then I really started going in-house with startups. And so the first one I joined was a company called Mobile Iron. I started working with them when they were 35 people. Uh, I went in-house when they were 70. I was the second person to join the marketing team as director of communications. And I was there for eight years and was very involved in the IPO in 16 quarters of earnings and growing the, the company from uh, pretty much zero to $220 million in revenue and 1,000 people. After wow. that, I decided it was time to go do something new and interesting. So I thought, cryptocurrency, what could be more different from enterprise software? And so I joined a company called BitGo that at the time was going through a transition from being a Silicon Valley security company building hot wallets to a digital asset investment firm serving a Wall Street audience. 
And that was when I went in and had to build my first marketing team from scratch. We had no systems. We were using a CRM system you've never heard of. It was about getting the, the technology, the people, and the processes in place. And after doing that for a couple of years, I had an opportunity to go do something similar at Treasury Prime, which was kind of a perfect intersection of my enterprise software experience and my recent experience in the the banking and finance world. So what we do is we are like the Uber of banking as a service. So if you think about the Uber model, you've got passengers and you've got drivers and you need to have lots of both for the model to work really well. So what we're doing is we partner with banks, we go in and we wrap and integrate all of their systems We build an API layer on top of it, and that way fintechs who are building neobanks who want to embed accounts or provide payments or cards uh, can just plug into our API in order to be able to do that. So if you think about what Twilio did for communications, we're really doing that for banking as a service. Very interesting. And obviously, you are, again, in the position of building the team from scratch, right? So can you tell us more, where, where are you on that stage and how is your team today? What are you looking to, um, who are you looking to hire as well? Yeah, absolutely. So when I joined, I was employee 14 and that was much yeah. earlier than I'd ever gone in-house with a company. And it, it seems a little counterintuitive when you think about it to say, why is a series A company? Cause that's like super early stage ready to like bring in a, you know, a senior marketer. And what I understood once I got in there was that we had actually established incredible product market fit. Like there was no doubt that this, this business model was working. And now we just needed to start to put all of the other pieces in place. So spent a lot of time talking with my boss, learning about the company, talking to customers and, My initial thing was, all right, we've got to work on the messaging and positioning because we're not doing a very good job of describing who we are and why we're different and what we do. So that was the first project I took on. And that was something I did where I interviewed our founders, our customer-facing employees, interviewed a bunch of customers, a bunch of investors, did a lot of competitive research and put together that framework, which led to an overhaul of the website. Then I started thinking about, all right, so what are, what technology do we want to be using? If we're going to be doing marketing, we, we need a marketing platform. And at that time, we were already using uh, HubSpot for CRM. So after many discussions with other people in the company, because you know these are these are big decisions that it can affect a lot of departments and can have some some real cost ramifications, we decided that our our business was not that complicated. We are dealing with a very specific set of verticals. We are focused on companies and banks in the US. We don't have a global program. There's there's enough to fix with the US banking system that we don't even need to look at other countries yet. And so at that point, we started to think, all right, now we're gonna put that in place. I've got uh, marketing operations and they'll do sales ops for us. So we're gonna bring in an agency and do that. And after thinking about it, we realized we need to really go after this developer audience. There is an opportunity to bring people together, to get them really excited about our product. It was built for developers. It's really good. All of my, all of my engineers are very much developer focused. So we knew that this would resonate. So interestingly, the first hire that I opened was for a head of developer relations. And 
So that was my first hire. And, and that person started at the beginning of the year. And then my second hire, uh, I think makes a lot more sense to this audience, which was I brought in a uh, head of demand generation. And uh, yeah, no, sorry. I was asking um, why, why you thought to start with the developer relations first, you said you want to kind of break into that, but there are a lot of other decisions involved, right? With the, with the tech stack, what campaigns and everything. Um, why, why was that the first hire, basically? Because we felt a real sense of urgency to get out mm. in front of that audience sooner rather than later. And that there was also an opportunity to do it in a really authentic way that was very true to the, the DNA of the company. And that this would be um, a set of people who would be massively influential in, in driving our business. So is it now the demand generation person and this person working together to like, do you guys measure those, uh, the effectiveness of those uh, campaigns towards developers? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, my, my developer relations lead went on paternity leave. Um, So we, we sort of got the the foundation built and when he comes back, we're going to be focusing a lot more on outbound, but absolutely. They work very closely together because the messages are similar for these audience, right? There's, there's a message about using our tools and getting to market faster with us than with any other option. And that, that will resonate with both the business audience, which is where I think of the demand gen, you know, efforts being more focused while the developer relations audience is about how easy is our tech to use? How fast can it work? How simple can we make the process? How good is our documentation? awesome uh, I actually have two questions for you right off the bat number one is do you do you have a favorite tech stack from from a marketing perspective when you you know you join a new company especially when it's you know brand new where you can pretty much choose whatever you want do you have a favorite um, favorite tools favorite platforms um so I having now been using HubSpot for a while I think their I think their UI is fantastic but I mm-hmm. love the granularity and the level of control that you get with Marketa. I think, I think, but it's not as easy to use, right? Like anyone can kind of jump into HubSpot, do a little bit of work, watch a couple of their videos and, and you can go manage this. Marketa is way more complicated. And um, I, I have a great story about things going very wrong with Marketa, <laughs> where we had somebody once who thought they were working in the sandbox, but they were actually working in the production instance. And so we had an email go out to 30,000 mobile IT people about two for one coconut water. <laughs> Was that and a test? So, That's just well, running a test. Exactly, exactly. Somebody playing with it, but it actually went out there. And so we had to immediately say, oh my God, like we're a security company people are going to think we've been hacked. So it actually became something that we needed to respond to immediately. So I grabbed our VP of marketing and said, all right, here's the deal. We've got to get this out. Here's the copy I've written. I think it should go out under your name. And we, we tried to keep it, you know, a little bit light and to say, this was, this was not a security issue. This was user error. And we also want to reassure you that Mobile Iron is not diversifying into food and beverage. And then we will continue to offer <laughs> you the great technology and best practices for mobile implementation, you know, things like that. 
Um, so, so anyway, that's my way of saying I love that. I think um, my favorite thing that I, I used recently was for corporate gift giving. So this was an incredibly hard year, right? Yeah. To be able to do gifts because you can't just send things to people's offices. And so I used a, a service called Loop and Tie where we were able to do a curated set of gifts. And, and this was all, you know, on a shoestring budget, right? This isn't like a Sendoso where you can spend a yeah, lot massive. more. And so we were able to do branded packaging. We were able to pick gifts. We were also able to include um, uh, charities as an option if people wanted to just make a donation there instead of receiving a gift. And the feedback was so incredibly positive from everyone that, in fact, one of our, the CEO of one of our um, bank partners got in touch to say, give us all the information. I want to do this for my employees. Wow. Yeah. I The most popular gift was contributions to Doctors Without Borders. Nice. That's, I love the, the charity aspect of that. And, you know, gifting is a big part of uh, our, stra- you know, demand generation strategy. And, you know, we, I always believe in differentiating the, the touches between digital and offline, including events, but also direct mail. You know, I've, I've been a strong believer for many years, so I, but I love how you turn into also that, that charity aspect, which is especially now very appreciated. Um, but I want to kind of shift uh, from from that. I'm going to ask you another question later. But you mentioned this kind of PR issue with the coconut water uh, that you had to manage at the end. You know, it's still a PR um, exercise to, to go and manage that situation. And you have a very strong background in PR. So I, I want to take the opportunity to ask some question about it because for the demand generation audience, PR is kind of like, you know, something you do just because you have to, but it's not <laughs> where where you put the majority of your budget, especially in startups. So I want to understand how you see the importance of the PR and the PR team within the demand generation um, context. And, you know, obviously I'm going to ask you a lot of questions, but what, what's your angle here coming from PR and now leading also demand gen and every other aspect? Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, we, we think about demand generation, we think we, we run campaigns, we figure out how to work with third parties to bring new contacts into our database, and then we, we market to them and we do all of those pieces. And I think it's, it's easy to overlook how important brand building can be. And my personal opinion, obviously I'm hugely biased in favor of PR given my background, is that when you're a startup, this is probably not the time to be doing massive advertising campaigns. Um, but maybe it is. It, it depends on your audience. And you know, I think I, I should caveat this by saying my focus has been pretty much B2B through my career. So that's that's going after a very different type of, of buyer. And what I think is so magical about getting reporters to write stories about your company is that that is a, an objective third party who in theory has a choice about writing about a whole bunch of different things, who is choosing to write about your company. And that is saying that to their readers, this is important. This is something you should know. This company is either doing something interesting. The CEO has something important to say. And that's actually an incredibly important um, 
measure of whether a company matters or not. And I think sometimes that can get overlooked. And I think that so often we see public relations being kept very, very far apart from demand generation. And there's kind of a lack of understanding on behalf of the people in both those areas of what the other person is doing, how they're doing it, and why it matters. When in fact, I think if you can bring the programs together, you're able to tell the same story either through channels that you own, through channels that you're buying, or through channels that you're earning. Do you think uh, PR is going to have a more impact, especially at the startup level, as uh, you know, driving the top of the funnel, the middle of the funnel, or at the end of the sales process? Because I'm imagining, you know, if I'm an enterprise company, I decide to take a risk with a startup and I don't see any story, any news about that startup, you know, is an additional risk, right? I, I, think be comfortable. I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. And so when you you think about it and you you, you have to put yourself in the mind of the buyer, right? And, and that's where I think it's, it's really important. And one of the things I've, been doing lately is um, I'm building our sales development rep function. And so I've been interviewing um, very junior people. And one of the questions I've been asking them has been, tell me about the last time you made a major purchase. What was your process for, for research, for decision-making? And I think what we've all started to realize as marketers is usually by the time somebody is coming to us, we're sort of already on their short list. And when somebody fills out, um, you know, the Treasury Prime Contact Us form, they're, they, they're not just a hand raiser. They've already discarded probably three or four other companies that they don't want to speak to. And yeah. so you have to think about all of those things that happen before they come to your website or before they raise their hand in some other way. And it really becomes, how do they hear about you? And you're absolutely right to say, that if they're doing a Google search and they're not seeing any news stories, you think to yourself, well, how serious is this company? How long have they been in business? They can't really be that big. And I think it's also important to recognize that all of the media results you get contribute to your web presence and SEO. In, in a major way, sometimes I've seen like, you know, comp, uh, publication like TechCrunch or New York Times, if you have even a small story and a link there of any kind, it massively changed the ranking of and the authority of your website. Absolutely. And so we, um, a couple of months ago, we announced our Series B. We raised $20 million and we said, okay, we're going to go out with the story. Where, what is the most impactful media outlet where this could run? And I, we evaluated various options and we said, it's really TechCrunch. And it was TechCrunch for a few reasons. One, because I still think TechCrunch is absolutely an arbiter of the companies that matter in Silicon Valley. I think their, their reach is really broad. And they have a reporter there who had written a story earlier about Treasury Prime and fully understood the economics of an API business. So he would understand our business model. And because he... He, he's probably one of the best reporters who's focused on tech, who really understands earnings and fundings. And so he would understand that, have, that our round, which was an insider round, was actually really significant in terms of what it meant. And he would be able to explain it to the world. 
And then the final reason to go with TechCrunch was that we had a webinar that we were doing with them scheduled for uh, June. And so having us in more places within TechCrunch was going to be even more effective for that webinar. Absolutely. Um, so now that you know you convinced us that PR is important, how 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 do you see the execution of it? Like when do you bring PR as a internal, like hiring someone within your team and when it makes sense to work with an external firm? Yeah, that's that's a wonderful question. And it's going to vary depending on your strategy. And so the way that I, I really like the way we we're talking about PR earlier is to think of it as content marketing with a, a different set of channels. And so when you think about what you need for content marketing, you need to have somebody who's generating that content and somebody who's strategizing where that content's going to go. And so PR becomes very, very similar. And, and sometimes those can be the same person. Sometimes they're not. It depends on your size. And so when I think about PR, I think that if it's going to work, you're probably going to start with an external resource. That could be an individual. That could be an agency but that person or agency has got to have an inside contact who can get them what they need. And what they're going to need is they're going to need, they're going to need your content. They're going to need to understand your product. They're going to need access to your executives and spokespeople. They're going to need you to review things they've written and figure out what's right or what's wrong. And so I think that if you're going to do PR, you have to make sure that you've got somebody internally who is the owner and the advocate for that problem because an outside person can't function like an internal person can. Would that be the head of content or is still going back to demand generation? I, I think it really depends. I think it can be, it can be anyone. And the way yeah. I'm set up is because I have this experience. I'm running that relationship. So I'm reviewing pitches. I Sometimes I set up my own interviews. I had a reporter come to me this morning. Um, I, I write a lot of the content, so I, I was writing an award submission and I shared it with my PR person and she, she loved it, which was really nice, um, cause I have to submit it today. So I didn't have a ton of time, but it, it ha just has to be somebody who's interested and who can advocate. I mean, you don't have to be an expert, but you have to be able to help that person work on deadline and understand their urgency because when you're you're dealing with reporters and somebody says I want to talk to your executive today if you can't make that happen really fast you've lost that opportunity that makes sense um but here is the problem though that I see a lot with startups and the reason why a lot of uh, startups but even more established companies they probably understand in PR and branding which is measuring so what is the, you know, how do you solve the problem of measuring something like PR and branding and the effectiveness of all the stories, the work and the budget you're investing with PR? Yeah, so I look at, at measurement in a few different ways. Um, when I've had larger budgets and when I've felt more concerned at the executive level about really having metrics, I used a fantastic service called Onclusive. And what I liked about them was imagine a database that collects all of your coverage, all of your competitors' coverage, 
and is able to measure the traffic to your website that different media stories drive and that can measure all of the social sharing of different stories. And what's fascinating is that not only are you able to sort of benchmark yourself about, against competitors in terms of how much coverage are we getting? Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it a neutral tone? Um, are we getting prominent placement? Are we just getting named as one of five companies? You can look at all of that. But you also have this opportunity to understand which stories are really having an impact and driving people to your website. And what's so fascinating is that when you open your mind and kind of step back and look at that, it's often not the ones you would expect. And so we found that, um, you know, there were just places, there, there were just, in some cases, second tier crypto or business press that were really effective for us. And it was like, oh, well, we need to double down on that and invest more. It was very much the way that you would look at the results of a demand gen program because you started to have some. And while it's still not easily possible to measure the amount of influence that a media story can have on a closed one deal, you can at least start to make some correlations. Uh, another, so I'm not in a position to be able to do that right now. So um, I actually just did uh, an RFP for new communication support. And my RFPs are really, really simple. I ask three questions. One is, take a look at our coverage and tell me what you would do to make it better. Mm -hmm. Period. Simple. Second is, how do we know if it's working? which is just tell me how you think we should be measuring it. And then the third question is, and now give me some examples of similar projects you've done for other clients. That's and, a very simple framework, but I can see why, you know, you can easily sort the, the good and the bad. Well, and everything's a test, right? So, it, I mean, if, if people get in touch with me ahead of time and say, hey, could we run some ideas by you or could we get on a call? Like, that's great. I want to be available to you. I want you to be coming to me with questions. And what I did in this particular case was um, I had six agencies present to us and I had both of my founders in all of those meetings, as well as my demand gen person who had never been through a series of pitches. And it was really, really fun at the end because then I brought everybody back together after a, a week of having these pitches and I just, I wanted them to talk because I knew that if I said anything, I was going to have an outsized influence on the conversation. So I wanted everybody else to talk first. And what was so fascinating was of these six agencies, everyone was very clear that it was down to the same two options. Wow. So, so, they, so everyone was <laughs> automatically there without, without me saying anything. In fact, I, I agreed completely. They were, they were my choices as well. And then we just went through a, a discussion to figure out which one it was. But I, I felt that that was really, really important for a few reasons. First of all, um, for people who were not familiar with PR, I really wanted to bring them on this journey and to have them fully invested in this decision because we decided we were going to make a real investment. So we're, we're spending, you know, we're spending almost, you know, 200K a year on this. And, and that's, that's, you know, that's a bet that you're making, right? Yeah. And it's also a bet where it's not like you turn it on and you start to see the results in 30 days. So sometimes you do. And 
you know, in our particular case, we, we've definitely been, been seeing the, the results of having somebody completely focused on this. But the other thing is that whoever you bring on is going to work really closely with your spokespeople. And you want to make sure that they feel good about working with this person because it's going to be a lot of emails. It's going to be prepping for interviews. It's going to be having them handle interviews. And so you want to make sure that all of that interaction is, is happening. And you mentioned something about you know dollar amount and, and budget. So how do you pick the right budget for this? Because obviously any money that you are allocating to PR, you are taking it away from, uh, from demand gen and other measurable campaign. So how did you come up with the 200K or any kind of budget? And what's the time frame that you have to allocate for it? Sure. So I came up with that number because I just, I've, I've spoken to a lot of agencies. I, I know a lot of agency people and I know that at a limit for a, a fairly active PR program, you're probably, probably, there's a great agency called Press Friendly that could probably take you on for less than 10K. But generally speaking, I think you're going to be looking at, I would say at least 12,000 a month for a robust PR program that ought to include not just pitching the media, but uh, doing award submissions, going after speaking opportunities and some other things as well. And so you are putting, you are allocating a year of time to see that that's when you come back together and look at the results or is something? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm I'm looking at results constantly. (laughs) And, you know, one of the things about results is I'm not going to put in a system like Onclusive right now because I'd rather spend, I'd rather spend my budget on programs rather than measurement right at the moment. And, and that's because that works for, you know, my boss, like he's, he's okay with that. But ultimately, one of my goals for the program is that we need to become a de facto example of the category. So what I would like to be seeing in a few months is that whenever anybody writes about banking as a service and says, and companies like X, Y, and Z, that we are one of those three. And I would say four months ago, we really weren't as often as nearly as often as we should have been. Um, with the effectiveness of announcing our fundraise, we're getting there. And then all of the work we're doing is really about setting up that goal so that, and that's one way. The other way that you know your PR is working is when reporters are writing a story and they come to you and you don't have to reach out to them (laughs) because then you, you become recognized as a leader in that category. And you know, and also you hear it on the sales team and your recruiter. I mean, your uh, new hires that they say, "Oh yeah, I heard about from this this story, right?" Absolutely, and and you know, thank you for for bringing that up because that's a great great point about recruiting. And so one of my one of the other reasons I chose TechCrunch when we wanted to announce our Series B was because that is such an important place for recruiting. And. Um, the other, uh, yes, on, on TechCrunch, obviously everyone sees it, so you, you can get some good talent that there is those stories. But another interesting part, and I think um, I know we're almost out of time, but I want to touch on this because the other value that you get from PR, besides what you mentioned of being listed in, in some of those examples, is to give that weapon to your sales team as additional enablement tool and something they can use on their on their calls. Um, how do you see that 
uh, that value compared to everything else you mentioned so far? Yeah, I think I think that's really important because I think I feel like that's sort of kind of the final step of really merchandising the results of your PR program. And I think that's one that gets lost a lot. And so I think that you you need to pick your stories carefully because you don't want to have one that mentions all of your competitors because you don't need to give a prospect like a new list of companies to go look mm-hmm. at. But I think that periodically there are stories that are really, really significant. And so um, you want to make sure that your sales team is aware of them, but not just aware. I, I actually think just package them up in an email, send it to sales. Like, here's how I would phrase this. Here's this great hit that we got today because they are always looking for reasons that they can go back to prospects who have stalled or somebody who's who's being unresponsive or, or even somebody who's feeling very positive so that they can be even more positive. And I, I think the killer way to do this is to talk about this, not just in terms of what it means for the company, but why should the customer care about this story? And it's not just saying, hey, wanted to share that we were featured in the Wall Street Journal. It's like, hey, wanted to share that the Wall Street Journal just wrote a feature on how Treasury Prime is approaching compliance because it's such a different thing. And I thought that was relevant in the course of our deal because. And so there are pieces that sales is going to want to personalize, but I still think that and this is back to content, right? It's it's how do you frame this? How do you tell people that it's important? And if you're not taking it that final step, I think you're really missing an opportunity. I agree 100. percent And I, I love this approach. Like I said, is I you know the sales team is hungry for for this type of of tools and things to add to add value in the in the conversation. And PR fits this perfectly. And having those great stories. So in uh, my last question for you is in in one minute, since you had this awesome results, you know, with with your uh, in your career of taking a company from almost like from very early to going public, what what do you think is your secret? What do you think is that you're doing particularly well that allows to achieve that success? I, I think first of all, it's being able to tell that story at the high level of why your product is really solving problems and changing the game and doing that in a way that reporters understand, which usually means that you're talking about money in some context. Is it changing the way people do work? Is it changing where IT spend is going? Is it changing how investors are looking at this company? And then really being able to articulate that throughout all of your marketing programs. And that's part of having a great team. And having other people who can say, okay, we're telling this, we're going to do it this way in product marketing. We're going to take this theme and we're going to explain it in demand gen. We're going to have the same story running in the press. And I think it's about having the idea be big enough and really, really pushing yourself to articulate why it's game-changing. And that's hard. And, but I think, I think that's kind of the core of it. And if it were easy, we'd all be doing it, right? hundred <laughs> percent. I agree. That's awesome. Uh, Clarissa, thanks again for uh, joining the Demand Generation Club and uh, for sharing your experience. I uh, absolutely love the conversation. So thanks again. Thank you for having me. And I just want to do one final plug because I am hiring and I currently have an opening for a content strategist. 
and a head of product marketing. So if anyone is interested, ping me on LinkedIn. And we'll make sure to post this in, in our channels as well. So awesome. Thanks again, Clarissa. Thank you so much.